Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. Today, I have the honor of interviewing a very good friend of mine. Her name is Faith Heinley, and she just graduated from high school and will be going on as a freshman at Miami University. Now, you might be asking yourself, why did I pick this amazing person who's had a lot of experiences through her community and also through her horses? She loves to or has a passion in equine nutrition and overall care and hopes to pursue that in the future. But I wanted her to talk today because despite her diagnosis of POTS, of IBS, of SIBO, and I'll have her explain what all of those acronyms mean, she has lived an active and fulfilling life. And what she says is it is a direct result of being aware proactive, and daring to be my best is what she said. So I just get goosebumps when I think about this because I see patients with these three diagnoses and I see how it affects their life and how they have a hard time really taking responsibility for their own health and doing what they need to do to still live especially as a teenager and and now a young adult. So thank you, Faith, for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So take me back, Faith, to when you first started having health problems. Like how old were you and what was the first thing you started to notice about your body and and the changes? Yeah, so the... Probably going back to about freshman year of high school, so 2019 going into 2020, I was just having these horrible stomach pains, unable to sleep. I remember like leaving a sleepover in the middle of the night, which was so unlike me, and going through all this testing, go to our general doctor and getting more testing and so many blood tests. They thought my appendix ruptured, so many things. And then I finally like saw a specialist, had a colonoscopy, endoscopy, all those fun things for a 14-year-old to go through where they couldn't really narrow things down. So I got the umbrella term of IBS. And that took me down a route on to the low FODMAP diet, which is a very restrictive diet for about six weeks. And then you gradually add things back in and... Then about 2020, late 2020, early 2021, I started having a lot of issues with fainting and being very lightheaded, very weak, unable to complete my sports. Um, And that's when I was diagnosed with POTS, which is a postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which affects your blood flow, blood circulation, and also contribute to some stomach issues. Really? So did they think that maybe there was a relationship there? Yes, totally. So they found that some of my stomach issues were from pot, some of them were from IBS, others were from just classic acid reflux issues. And here I am. So when you were, so, so first you battled with your stomach pain 
And they decided that this was irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, which I know is, I, I hate to use the word a garbage can term, but its it can mean so much to so many people. And then you went on this, like the FODMAP diet. So explain what exactly what that was. So the low FODMAP diet, it's sponsored through the Monash University in like Australia, I believe. And you take everything out, take all of the FODMAPs, so different sugar structures and carbs like fruits, gluten, dairy, so many different things, go down to this very simplified diet and then... Little by little, you go through three-day testing periods where you add a certain amount. So it's a lot of weighing your strawberries and having an eighth of an apple or half of a garlic clove and taking things out, recording your results, really seeing what works for you, what affects your stomach. And then eventually you kind of graduate to this modified low mod low FODMAP diet that works for you. And what did you discover when you did that? Like what you could and couldn't eat? So that testing period really solidified that I was lactose intolerant, extremely sensitive to gluten, unable to eat things like onion and garlic, um, fruits like apples, pears, cherries. I really stay away from different vegetables like sweet potatoes, asparagus, Brussels sprouts. Those all affect me in a negative way. So, yes. And did you find that your symptoms improved right away or did it take some time for your body to like adjust to this new diet? It definitely took a lot of time. And because of how restrictive the diet was, like mentally, it really affected me. There was a lot of like weight loss, which contributed to the diagnosis of POTS and yeah. Well, I would imagine, because you said you started having symptoms, you were 14. So you're trying to go to school. Were you were you working with horses at that time too? Yes, I was. And actually at like the height of all my symptoms, I was on varsity tennis and riding horses. So I'd go for my tennis practice and race to the barn and go and ride two or three horses, have like four tennis matches a week, horse show on the weekends and be everywhere at once. And you're right on the brisk of your body's still changing, you're still growing, you know, and and I'm sure that that played a role. Talk a little bit more about how you kind of overcame this mentally then too, because I'm sure, you know, I I don't think I'd mind if somebody said I can't have onions or Brussels sprouts, you know, again, or garlic, but I'm sure there are some things that, you know, were bothersome to you, like, you know, what you can't have. I mean, hopefully what i know about you is that you focused on what you can have instead of what you can't have, which I always try to tell people that. But how did you overcome that? Um, Well, at the age I was at, it was really hard to first get doctors to even believe my symptoms and not just be like, write it off as like period pain or just growing and growing pains. Or stress. I know sometimes people are like, oh, must be like a nervous stomach or something. Yes. And then with COVID hitting, that was even harder to get treatment. So then socially, it became a big factor of you would be out at a restaurant with your friends and everyone would be like, ha ha, Faith can't have this or this oh, or no. that. So socially, I feel like it was the biggest barrier. And then also just going out in general with like friends and family and getting your family, especially like your older grandparents to like adjust to it being a real thing that needs to be that attention needs to be paid to. So. Yes. Right, right. I mean, just like you said, I, I heard a patient today tell me 
that she really appreciated what the specialist was able to do for her, but she didn't feel like they really listened to her and about what she was going through and um, in her situation. And I, I know that even myself as a pediatrician, I have really worked hard to be a better listener because a lot of times, you know, patients may or may not have perspective, but as, as you go through the journey, I think it was becoming more and more evident to you that this is something real, you know, and, and, um, and I just want to feel better. Right. Yes, totally. So once you started the FODMAP and then you went to kind of modified and you knew, okay, these are the things that I can have, how difficult, and, and then you shared with me like socially and even with family. And, you know, that's true. You know, your grandparents are amazing. I mean, I have the opportunity to, to know them firsthand, but it, it is, it is tough for family to adjust, isn't it? Yes. My mom was definitely like the key person and almost like changing our whole family over, like constantly making the effort or if there was a slip up, just mi- fixing her mistakes and making it known like this is faith snacks. This is for faith. Nobody eat this. This <laughs> Like this stays in faith section of the fridge. And as I've grown up and been able to reintroduce more things, it's been a lot easier. My family is very used to me asking for all these substitutions. But yes, just getting people on board and in your circle. I have a lot of other friends with allergies, so that definitely helped. Like moms would bring special snacks for us at horse shows and little things like that. That would make it a lot easier to adjust. Of course. You you feel a little less alone in that that journey, I would imagine. And so then let's go back to the pot. So you were, you said you were passing out. Yeah. So going into sophomore year, I had lost a lot of weight from the low FODMAP diet because it was with COVID, especially it was so hard to get into appointments for things. Mm -hmm. And once I finally saw a nutritionist to help with it, it was almost like a line of being too late into it. So I saw the cardiologist before I was presenting like what I knew were signs that I remember being in a GI appointment and they couldn't get a read on my blood pressure. And everyone was like, um, let's try it this way. And it took like five different people. They could never get my blood pressure. So they sent me to the cardiologist that same week. And from there I learned a lot like, oh, your feet and hands are falling asleep all the time because of this. You can't stay in the shower for a long time because your body is working so hard to like even stand up your blood is pooling in your feet and your stomach so that's why your skin is looking this way yeah and it really just showed like oh okay like I'm not eating enough because of the low FODMAP diet so how do I stay healthy and stay comfortable with my stomach but also gain the weight back and get strong enough to maintain like to make the pots better yeah I always tell patients like your, your brain gets angry or your brain wants you to like lay down if it's not getting enough glucose, which glucose is food, you know, fuel or oxygen. But the way that we deliver oxygen and glucose to our brain is through good blood flow and blood pressure. And it's, it's not unusual for teenagers in general, male or female to have a low blood pressure anyway, 
but, you know, making sure that you're fueling your body, getting enough um, hydration. I'm sure all of that played a big factor in it as well. Yeah. So once we kind of were on track with the diagnosis, we I started every morning before I even got out of bed with having like a gluten-free cracker because it was a salty snack and chugging yes. water. And then my mom would bring me like salt, like electrolytes. And then I would do my morning routine, but I had to wake up earlier because I wore compression stockings that went from my toes to my chest for like many, many months. And it took me like 10 minutes to get them on. So I had to get up earlier. And And that was for blood flow. Yes. That was to stop the blood pooling. And so were you wearing that like under your school clothing and such and so on? And um, so just so that I can explain to people, you know, when we talk, when we talk to adults about blood pressure, we usually tell adults, look, you know, cut back salt because it can lead to hypertension. But when we talk to teens who have a low blood pressure, we usually say you need to have salt in your diet. So you also had to make sure you were getting electrolytes and salt and something of substance that make your sugar was okay. Like all of the, it's all a balance, right? Yes. It's a very fine line of like, oh no, you're having too much salt and It was actually a funny thing because my mom had cut out salt completely from her diet, but we needed to add so much salt into my diet that it was just very funny to see my like gluten-free salty food and then my mom's food side by side. Yes. And I know that your family in general has always worked very hard to live an active life, to, you know, live a healthy lifestyle. Um, which is important. I think, you know, when you get the whole family on board, that is so important. But this is something that seems very, for especially for adults, like, wait a minute, we need to add salt? I remember once I met a cardiologist and I thought it was kind of funny because he said, oh, you know, I tell my patients if they feel dizzy to drink a bottle of water and eat a bag of chips, you know, and I thought that cardiologist is telling him to eat chips, but really what they're saying is something that's salty like that. So you had to make it part of your routine. Yes, totally. So I would have different salts in my water. I used Element, which is like 1500 milligrams of salt. And I have like two of those a day. And then with like salt sticks and like quick release tablets to keep me going. And I just want to add, you know, these are, those are methods that are specific for you. So of course, you know, for others, I want to encourage, you know, that you you hydrate and so on. But salt can also cause other problems. So I, I want to re- remind people, like, before you do anything like that, to make sure you consult your uh, pediatrician or your doctor. But how was that for you? Like, did it even taste good? Like, I, I don't know. Luckily, they do make some pretty fine to drink flavors like fruit punch and different things like that. They've definitely tailored it to knowing that like, okay, you're going to be having a lot of this. Like some of this quick release things literally are like candy and my friends would want them. I'm like, no, you can't have that. That could hurt you. you. Yes. (laughs) For me, I need it. Yes. So how long did you have to wear the compression stockings? And you said all the way up through your waist. Yes. So I wore them for multiple months and then I've kind of phased them out. Sometimes I wear them when I'm like in a flare up 
But yeah, probably like a good six months of wearing them every day. Now, do you do you go to them again if you need to, or is that just at that time you you um, wore them? I go back and forth between wearing them and not. Especially during the summer, it's a lot harder to wear them because they're so thick and heavy. But that's also when my pots flares up. Okay, so okay. it's a fine line of wearing them for a little bit and taking them off so I don't get too sweaty. Did you find that the cardiologist? understood the symptoms that you were having and really listened? Yes, I totally feel very like seen by my cardiologist and very respected by the like team that I've talked to and they really see it as real and they understand that this is a very common thing in teenagers specifically like they see it presenting in a lot of 17 year olds. Yeah, because one of the most common causes for teens to get dizzy or pass out is something called vasovagal syncope. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Yeah. And that's the most common, you know, and that basically still has a lot to do with the blood pressure and the blood getting to the brain. And if the brain doesn't feel like it's getting what it needs, it wants you to lie down. That's the whole idea of passing out. But that is a very mild case in those situations that those are people who, yes, they need to add salt to their diet, just regular salt, and make sure that they're drinking about 80 ounces of fluid a day at least. And and again, guided by their, their primary care or their specialist, like a cardiologist. But I find that in your situation, this, this went way beyond that actual diagnosis, correct? Yes. And all of these things kind of like tied themselves into each other. So it was a lot more to balance than just having a POTS diagnosis. But it's very common that if you have POTS, you have a slew of other things tied to it. So I was able to find resources online that kind of helped navigate it more than just your specialist could. And did you find that once you kind of controlled the POTS that your IBS symptoms were improving? Yes. At first, it was kind of a hard balance between medicine because some medicine would really help my stomach but cause a flare up and that whole chain of reaction of events. But over time, I got very used to it. Now I hardly ever even think about it because I'm just I have such a routine established that I was able to go and do other things and not just be limited by my diagnosis. Now, you also said something about SIBO. And I actually, before we started this interview, I had to ask you, what does that mean? So will you share that with everyone? So it's small intestine bacterial bacterial overgrowth. And I'm not even the most educated on that, but it, I just, it's a pain that I can feel in my mid stomach. And I know like that's my SIBO and it's just a different sort of pain, at least for me in, um, compared to my IBS symptoms And it just makes me feel different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I go on different medicines to regulate it. It comes and goes, but yes. How were you diagnosed with that? It wasn't anything like test filled or that official. I just talked to my GI specialist and they're like, yes, that is SIBO. Exactly what you're describing is SIBO, like having added gas and more pain in, in the region I was talking about it all aligned with SIBO. Yeah, it kind of, the puzzle pieces came started coming together, huh? Yeah. So what did they do to treat you for that? 
I was just given medicine and I took that and they just checked up on me like two weeks later. I was like, symptoms are gone. And so they come and go in waves. So is it like an antibiotic? Is it something that changes your acidity? Do you, do you remember what they put you in? I don't even remember. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, uh, I get it. I mean, I'm glad that it's something that, you know, is part of your history, but is not something that seems to bother you as much anymore. No. Yeah. That's good. Yes. That's a good thing. Well, so being aware of your symptoms and really having a team of specialists and a team at home, your family being on board and really helping you, how did you find, and and then be, you know, how did you find it as far as like over the last four years, continuing to be proactive and stay up and be able to say, this is what I can do. This is what I can have etc. I'm a very goal-oriented person, mm-hmm. so I go to summer camp in Michigan and getting to camp has always been like my goal. Like if I am having a really bad day, I'm like how am I ever going to do this? I'm just like get to camp, like make it to the point of camp. And that was like almost always my goal of like if you're healthy, you can go to camp. If you're yeah. healthy, you can go to the barn. Things like that, that kind of, if I set a goal, I would be a lot more consistent when I would like fall off of having a goal or something just I'm looking forward to. I would just fall off the bandwagon, not take my medicine as well, not regulate my symptoms, just be like, okay, here's where I'm at. Let's be lazy with it. But then as soon as I redirected myself and kind of shifted my focus, I was like, okay, let's lock in on this and get going. Yeah, I love that. So basically what I hear you saying is, you know, by having a goal, it helped you stick with your routine and be disciplined about what you needed to do, which I'm sure there were probably days where you're just like, ah, you know, I just don't want to do this or, you know, whichever. But I think we all have days like that, no matter what our journey is and what, you know, we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But having a goal to just not just feel better is, you know, because I hear all the time patients will tell me, you know, I just want to feel better, but they, they're not going to, they don't take the proactive steps that they need to take. And that's hard. I mean, I really commend you for, for doing what you did and just, you know, lack of a better term, taking the bull by the horns and just being like, not only do I want to feel better, but I, I want to live you know, and have a very productive goal oriented life where I have fun, you know, because you're never going to have those years back again. So to not let it limit you is, is truly amazing. And what I hear you saying is what you did was set goals, think about things that you really wanted to do, what you wanted to accomplish, knowing like, I want to get to spend time with my horse and ride and go to camp and all these things, then you knew as long as I do this, 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 I'm more likely to get there. Yes, absolutely. Because I think that, I mean, you, you know, we can have so much, um, support, but we have to sometimes take ownership, so to speak. And that's hard to do. It really is. So what is your routine now? And you're about to go off to college, right? So like, how do you, what are, what is your plan to be proactive now in a completely different environment for you? 
Well, I actually have all of my doctor's appointments lined up for the next <laughs> week before college to make sure I'm all checked out. Yeah. But I just came back from camp, so I'm readjusting to life here, having the food options of home. But at camp, it really like put me in line for college of like, these are your food options. If you have questions, you better go ask and get connected. So I know that I'm on orientation. I was able to kind of scout out the food-friendly options for me. And I already have an appointment lined up with a nutritionist on campus. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they can help me. And a big player in my school choice was the access to allergy-friendly food, um, how they displayed their dining options. So personally for my school from Miami, on we have an app that will say the ingredients of everything that's being served at every wow. dining location. So that was like a big thing that I was like, okay, yeah. they have like so many dining halls and I feel pretty set up for that. And then in regards to like my pots and my different things, I'm the summertime and the heat is always when it's the worst. So I know that I've made it through the worst of yes. the hot season. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot easier as I head into the fall to manage that. Yeah. And I would say too, do, are you planning to take some of the, some things too for your dorm room, you know, that this way, you know, you've got, you've, you're kind of planning ahead too, to make sure you've got something there. Yes, absolutely. I've way overbought on so many salty <laughs> snacks and all the things that have proven to help me. I've briefed my roommate on what she might expect to find in our dorm room and Yes. Yeah. She might be like, hey, can I try that? And you're like, nope, that's my food. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I think too, I'm sure that you have had to really embrace and not let it become like a stigma, you know, with that it, de it hasn't defined you. It, this is this your faith, but yet this is this is a routine. This is my diet. This isn't my whole, you know, and I'm, I don't mean to say it isn't your whole life. Like it's important for you because you want to feel good and, and live, you know, a really full life. But at the same time, you really haven't sat back and said, you know, oh, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. It's all about what you can do and just what you have to do to modify that. Yes. I've totally tried to just keep moving with life and, not let everybody around me in on what's going on because I feel like that can also be a big limitation. Like my coaches are the best, but they are very aware that of my issues. So they sometimes are just playing the safe card. I'm like, nope, let's keep going. I can do it. Like we can power on. Yeah. So communicating with them, yes. letting them, letting them know, you know, how you're feeling and being in tune to your body preparing, you know, knowing what your resources are at school are so important and, and setting up a nutritionist. So you have support locally, which I think sounds great. That app sounds amazing Yes, because I mean that I, you must sleep so much better at night. I know your mom probably does knowing that, that you've got that opportunity. So, but you wouldn't know unless you really investigated it, right? Yes. It's definitely something I was aware of. I fell in love with a school that had one dining option on campus. And I was like, this is not going to work. Like I love this school so much, but because of the food, like it's a big factor. So just advocating for myself and being aware of the resources around me. And then I would imagine, too, with seeing the doctors that you're going to be seeing over the next week or so before you go, also lining up kind of 
your medications or your, you know, what you need if you have a flare up and, you know, so that you're prepared for those kinds of things. What would you tell somebody who is really feeling down about their diagnosis, no matter what it is, whether it's POTS or IBS or the SIBO, you know, maybe it's a teen who just got diagnosed with diabetes, which of course is going to change their life, just like this changed yours. What words of wisdom or what would you tell them if you had an opportunity to talk to them today? If I was to talk to someone or when I do talk to somebody that's freshly diagnosed with something, I tell them it is going to be scary. This time is a huge learning curve. It feels very overwhelming and people understand that. If you let people into your corner, they will adjust their lives to make yours easier. You need to voice your opinion. You need to let people know how you're feeling and you can, it's okay to question what your doctor says and what your family feels that you're feeling because you know yourself best. So push to get your problems solved as best as you can. Yeah. I love that. And I'm a doctor, so I know because, you know, you know, your body better than anybody, you know, how you're feeling. And I think that that's a real, that's such good advice because it's okay to ask questions and really question what they're saying too, because that's what this is all about, you know, is, is really just being a voice for your own person for you. And I, I love that, that I think that's really great advice. And I definitely am going to use that with some of my patients too, and tell them, you know, don't be afraid to, to question. Cause so many times it's like, Somebody will say, oh, it's this or a doctor or maybe a nutritionist or other kind of healthcare provider. And, and then, you, you know, as, as a culture, we just kind of accept it, but you don't have to accept it, right? Totally. I know just recently I asked to be, get another ultrasound done, even though it was like three months short before I was due for a new one. Cause I was just like, this does not feel right. What I'm experiencing is not normal. And I want this to be rechecked up. So just little things like that, like it's okay to get another blood test or it's okay to switch doctors. So how did you do with like the blood tests? Like, are you, are you okay with that? I had a patient today, poor thing, almost passed out getting her blood drawn today. So is that something you also had to kind of learn and adjust to? At first I was like, oh, this is really scary. Like I was like, oh boy. But then it was like in one week I got like 11 separate blood tests and now it's just like normal. I'm like, okay, just do it. They're like, do you want the freeze spray? Like, cause I go to a children's hospital and I'm like, no, it's okay. They're like, really? Yes, it's okay. I'll get over it fast. Yeah. They're probably like, she's so brave, you know, (laughs) but you learned that you got through it when you, when you had had tests before and you were able, you, you still, you know, you managed. And so I think with experience, I'm sure people, we all learn to kind of be able to do what we need to do and that it's not, doesn't have to break us, you know? Yes. (laughs) So you leave in another week. And I know you're very prepared. Um, how will you describe to your new friends this this journey that you're going through? I will probably only let a select few people in on this just because of like the culture of my age group. I don't want it to be something that's almost held against me. But like my college friends, I'll definitely be like, hey, nope, 
I need to like let me know where we're going first for dinner. I need to look at the menu, like letting people know that I might pass out at somewhere. Like this medicine is on me to help me if I pass out, like yeah. making sure just being aware of what's going on, but they don't need to know the full extent of things just to protect myself. Right. Especially so, in that first month that I'll probably go through different friend groups pretty fast. Well, and I imagine you'll find such a good circle where you know that, you know, that these are people you can depend on and really understand. And again, knowing that this isn't define who you are, but that this is this is a part of who you are and not not the whole picture. Right. Yes. I have like three high school friends that will be going to Miami with me. So I know having them will be like a good base of like, okay, they know and they'll keep me safe and they'll watch out for me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about being, you know, like you said, being aware and being proactive and just really putting yourself out there. But yet you don't, you know, you just, you don't have to like, you could share it with those you feel that are necessary and, and that's, that's okay too, which is pretty cool yes. because I've had the opportunity to spend time with you and, um, you know, I know that you're very positive person and, you know, I, I just, I love being around you and the energy that you have. And that's really why I wanted you to come and talk to me about this today, because I feel like these your journey and your experience, but also the things that you've done to make your life as best as you possibly can, which is, you know, pretty great. Right. And, but at the same time, understanding that it's okay to be scared. It's okay to question. It's okay to get another opinion, like, and, and know your resources and be prepared. I mean, all of those things are what adds up to a really fulfilling life. Yes. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Any final words you feel like we haven't covered and helping others just kind of go through what you've been through? I would just say watch out for yourself and stay safe and write down your allergies and give it to the chef. There you go. (laughs) I love it. I think those are great tools and tips. And I just, again, want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.